0: Block Talk Radio.
1: The Keys is proud to announce the Communicators, airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy, from the heart of Harlem USA. Don't forget. Every Saturday, 7 p.m. The Communicator with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Minute. The keys unlocking the doors to unlimited possibilities. fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop the woman's shop features stylish tunics tools and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else the men's shop The Communicators Airing Saturdays at 7pm With your host, Brother Leroy Broadcasting from the heart of Harlem, USA
2: Hello Well, welcome, welcome to this edition of The Communicators Um, I'm Sister Afika, I'm just filling in for... Brother Leroy manning the board till he gets online. He's getting his technology together. But we are here. We're ready to get started. And I'm going to just throw uh, Brother Rahman Mohammed a question to get this conversation rolling. And, uh, Brother Rahman, um, tell us about your experience with children who are uh, cast aside. And just go feel free to open up with that comment and give us a little background on yourself. Brother Rahman, are you there? <coughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna take a moment and uh, just break for a song until we uh check in with Brother Rachman and make sure that his his mic is live and his uh his music is going. So let's just play some Ernie Smith. We'll be right back. Hey, Brother Rahman, I think we are connected now Can you hear me? I can
3: hear you very well
2: Okay, let's go ahead and get started Now, I don't know if you heard me earlier But I was just um, asking you to give a little background on yourself And also uh, tell us about your experience with children who were cast aside And that's how we're going to begin this conversation Until Brother Leroy gets back So go ahead and um, your mic is live
3: Okay Well, I guess if I begin at the beginning uh I was born in Columbia, South Carolina, and I, I grew up there until I was uh, a teenager, and I I moved away from Denver. I mean, I moved away from South Carolina, and I moved to Denver, Colorado, and I finished my last year of high school in Colorado. Well, my last two years of high school in Colorado, and then I uh, went to uh, undergraduate school at Denver University. I graduated uh, from Denver University and I studied uh, chemistry and biology. Uh, I came uh, to Rutgers University uh, and I pursued my I pursued a doctorate in uh, chemistry. And uh, during the process of studying that, uh, studying for my doctorate, I had an epiphany and I went to Senegal, West Africa, and I I studied in Senegal, and uh, that was. Uh, a quest for me to to discover and rediscover my my ancestors and to know who I am and where I came from, so uh, I would know where I could go potentially where I could go, and when I mentioned that I had an epiphany, I met the late great Sheikanta Anta Diop, who some people know as Sheikh Anta Diop, and uh, Diop uh, had such a profound effect on me, and uh, after that experience in Senegal, I came back to the states and I started doing research in the history, the culture, the science, and the spirituality of black civilization. And uh, it was during this period that I started teaching. Uh, I started teaching at a school in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which was called the Erie Institute. It was an all-African independent school uh, that was developed uh, in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, really as a result of parents being uh, despondent with the speed of Brown versus Board, uh, Board of Education. And so they felt that they could do better by producing quality e- education for their children, or uh, proper education as well. So I started teaching there in the late 1980s. And from that point, uh, that has been my experience from that point to now, trying to provide proper education to black children uh, throughout America, but mainly in the New York, New uh, Jersey area. Uh, and uh, that's what I'm about. I'm about teaching uh, black children who they are, again, so they can have confidence and trust in knowing where they came from so they'll know where they uh, can go. Basically, essentially, to teach them identity formation. That's been my uh, uh, my main uh, focus. And I taught at the University of uh, Medicine and Dentistry here in New Jersey uh, for about 15 years, and I developed uh Paradigm called a theory of culture, and that uh, paradigm has been very effective and efficacious in teaching uh, black children. Uh, now, Brother Rahman, about, if you
2: yes. um, if you can uh, back up for a yes. moment and break down the, the concept of, of identity formation. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yes. Yes. Break down the uh, concept of identity formation. Yes. Identity
3: formation. uh, Actually, identity formation is based on three related factors. One is a historic factor, a linguistic factor, and a psychological factor. All of these three factors are functions of your ancestors because the most important thing in the study of history is to know your ancestors. If you don't know your ancestors, you you won't know who you are, and thus, you become cognitively disconnected from where your knowledge should come from. In the case yes. of our people who were kidnapped, captured, and disembarked to America, we have been separated from our ancestors now for almost 500 years. So in that process, all of our historical memory was erased in the conscious level, okay? But not 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 subconscious Not, not subconsciously, it is still deep. The history of our ancestors. Is still deeply embedded in our psyche through epic memory. But through our enslavement, the objective of the slave master was to erase all of the connections that we had to our ancestors. Okay, in fact, one U.S. senator said, we have prevented the light from entering the mind of the slave, you see. So once you lose your history, you lose your language, you don't know who your ancestors are and you don't know how to connect them. So the third yes. factor is the psychological factor. And when you study the word psychos in Greek, it means the it means the study of the soul. You see? So you lose your history. You lose your language. You lose the context. You, you lose really a, a deep connection to the soul, okay? And the soul is your connection to the ancestors. So black people now, we are still striving now to rediscover and uh to discover and rediscover our identity formation. So that's what we mean when we say identity formation. But identity formation is, in addition to that, it is how you view and understand yourself, how you perceive others, and more importantly, how you find your place within the universe. Mm. Right. Did you get that, my does this say
2: uh, identity formation is what you're teaching at this point, is this, or is this how you started?
3: Well, what happened when I came into this knowledge, uh, initially I was t- teaching in the Area Institute, and I had all of these young brothers who were potentially brilliant, but they were ending up being brilliantly unsuccessful. Many of them had come from broken homes. A lot of them lived in the projects here in New Brunswick. They were the descendants of the offsprings of parents who had been drug addicted. Some of them had been in Uh, incarcerated, some had died from AIDS, and I used to take these brothers out to play football. I had an after-school program. They would play basketball, and I saw that they had all of this intensity, all of this energy in sports, but when I brought them in the classroom trying to teach them science and mathematics, we had to struggle. So I had to really find a way that I could tap into all of that genius, that potential genius. So then that's when I came up with this model uh, that I said earlier. I talked about earlier, a theory of culture. And the theory of culture, it's driven by energy, productivity, and spirituality. And the foundation is identity formation. So I had developed this as a scientist and a historian. I had developed this uh, over time, you know, and when I got into the University of Medicine and Dentistry. So I, I developed it as a paradigm, a framework, that could be used as a model, educational
2: model, to properly educate uh, our children. So, go into a little deeper. What is the theory of, of of culture?
3: Oh
4: well,
2: as I I pointed to
3: a, a little bit earlier, the theory of culture is a, a historical, a cultural, a scientific, and spiritual paradigm that is used as a framework to properly educate. Like people, first we have to teach the history, and as I have alluded to earlier, history has to connect you to your ancestors. And once you know your ancestors, you develop or you uh, receive your inheritance. You know, not just your genes, your chromosomes, your cells, and your DNA. That's very important. Okay, but your language. Okay, your mo- your your mores, your customs, your beliefs. Okay. This is all a part of your um, your culture, okay? But also uh, your spiritual beliefs of freedom, justice, and equality, love, happiness. All of these things make up the psyche of a people, okay? So once we are in contact with our ancestors and we know that we have been bequeathed with inheritance, then once we have received this knowledge from our ancestors, the objectives of each generation is to pass this knowledge on to ensuring or oncoming generations, okay? So then you start out with your belief system, which is your cosmogony. And from your cosmogony, you must develop proper education. And when you develop proper education, then you begin to create social structures. You have to have social structures, economics, politics, and a judicial or legal system to ensure that all of those Social uh, elements Or social structures within that culture Can be provided for And that's the basis of the theory Of culture Now presently in the African American Community all of the social Structures that are needed Education, economics Law, a political System, all of those structures Are absent in our community So hence when they are absent It brings about barbarism And savagery and that's where we are now. We don't have product productivity or, product, or productive lives in our community. All of those social structures are absent. So people are not acting on a human level. They're acting and existing on an animal level. So those people hmm. need to be properly educated so they can be reconnected and recapture their humanity so they can go on and produce productive culture. And then as a consequence of productive culture, we must have spiritual civilization. And, my sister, spiritual civilization is what we have been missing. We will shift here and disembark here. And spiritual civilization, that's where we have. We justice, equality, peace. That's what the function of black people. That is our mission, to bring justice for a I people do that better than what they have to we have, we have surrendered the level of the beast. Now the creator keeps coming for knowledge. No one has that knowledge. We, people, knowledge on the world. But we have a big problem now. The majority of our people, they're so disconnected. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. But even worse, they're not even I do mean, not. Uh,
0: this
5: is where we are but trying to get our people to
0: reconnect. Are you still there? Hello? Hello? Can't hear you. Can you hear me?
2: Um, yes, I can uh, hear yes, you yes, now. Uh, hello? Hi, Rahman, can you hear me?
6: I can hear you now, yes.
2: Yes, okay, yes, your phone is going in and better. out. I just want you to be aware of that. Um, and we have a, a caller on the line. Mayat is on the line. She has a, a question or a comment for you. Mayat, your mic is live.
4: Yes, um, thank you, brother, for your work. Um, didn't have such good volume at the beginning. I listened over the phone, and that's something I think we can uh, work on um, at some point. But uh, So when you mentioned Shake, Answer, Diop, uh, the first part of my question is go over that aspect. I imagine it deals with coming across his work and being ex- inspired, but I couldn't couldn't hear you so well at that point. And, uh-huh. uh, and I have Sister Maria on the phone with me, and that, of course, makes the volume go down lower. <laughs> and the second part of oh, yes. my question is um, uh, this, what you're doing seems just outstanding. And I'm wondering if this could tie into something that we started to move forward with and then it became more a fad than a, than a structure and an instrument of empowerment and that's the rites of passage for our young people both our young uh sisters and brothers and I, if you have my questions uh as to what they are i'll listen over the air how we can tie in the rites of passage which was an excellent era. At some point in our history to uh, what you're doing okay my sister
3: I want to thank you for that question and I'm so pleased to receive a question like that because I can hear the love and the sincerity in your voice and for me to hear that from a black woman in these turbulent times in which we live I'm so honored and I'm thankful for your question you know during the 80s and the 90s and early on in the 2000s, many rites of passage programs were around the country. I used to take part in some of them. And in, uh, here in New Jersey, where I live, uh, we used to have the Blackmail Institute in East Orange, New Jersey. It was instituted at a school. I think it was Patrick Healy School in, New, uh, in uh, East Orange, New Jersey. A brother uh, by the name of Dr. Lee, peace be upon him, because now he's gone on to join the ancestors. He basically made me the residential scholar in that program, and I would go to that program almost every Saturday and teach those brothers a theory of culture. Many of those students now, they have gone on and they have gone into college, okay, because we had that program in East Orange, New Jersey, and every Saturday from 9 to 1, we would teach those young brothers. That program was so effective, some of those young brothers went to Ghana. Okay, now with the passing of Dr. Ali, another young brother took that program on, but I think the funding got cut, and that's where the problem lies right now. Black people are going to have to come to understand That if we don't invest in education And invest in our young people We are not going to have a future So the Rites of Passage program Can definitely be implemented Through a theory of culture And let me say this The theory of culture is a historical Cultural, scientific and spiritual paradigm Once we teach these young brothers who they are and that we are not only the first people of the earth, we are the first people of the universe. Thus, these young black men, they must find their place in the universe, and then they won't be on the streets because they have such, such, such self-hatred where they want to shoot and kill a brother who looks like them because they have so much hatred in themselves for one another. Then those brothers, they can begin to pursue science and mathematics and engineering. They can become pilots. They can become surgeons, but we, black people, we must take on the responsibility to provide the resources and what are all, all all the other needs, pardon me, to make these programs productive and successful. So that is that is the basis of a the theory of culture, and it ties directly into the rights of the past.
4: Hello,
2: I, I'm not sure that Mayad is still on the line, but um. You bring up a very important point, uh, Rahman, when you talk about the uh, rights of passage. And even for, uh, in, in New York City, and I'm sure New Jersey has the same legacy, but we have a, a history of, uh, of Afro-centered uh, schools opening up and um, get the rhythm going, and the education is always intact and always impactful and meaningful for the children who attend, and even for the teachers yes. who teach. But these, unfortunately, yes. schools never last. They always close down due to funding issues. When you compare right. this to some other cultures in in, in the same communities, how are, how are those cultures able to keep their schools going and the uh, yes. African-centered schools always struggle and usually close down?
3: That, too, is a very profound question, and that is, Crux of the issue that we are we are struggling with right now. See, in the black community, I'm I, you know we have a we have a phenomenon, a very 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 serious problem. As a people, we have never been taught the science of economics. And when we were enslaved, it was deemed that there were three factors, essential factors to develop to, to developing productive culture. See, schools cannot be Affected for black people outside of the context of having a culture, we could open up a school tonight, but we would have to close it next week because we wouldn't have funding to pay the teachers. You see what I mean?
5: Based on the way
3: black people don't support their own institution, okay. So consequently, we have never been taught the science of economics, okay? Like other communities, like like now you see the Indians who are coming here from a uh, south, southern India and they're coming here and they're creating uh, institutions, of edu- educational institutions in our community you understand? Mm-hmm. They are, yeah, they're creating tutu- tutorial centers I'm here in New Brunswick, New Jersey and I can think about three or four that are already in this area I was talking mm-hmm. to a brother from Pakistan, and he told me, he said yeah he's a Muslim, yeah brother there are about uh, three or four in this community as well and the reason they can do that is because they understand the science of money. Look at them—they're mm-hmm. coming in here now. They are—who owns the gas station? Who owns the pharmacies now? Who are owning the hotels? Who are owning the newsstands? Who—who? You see, they—they they come with a specific plan. They have, first of all, value education. Okay, and in their culture, they teach their young people: if you don't learn science, and if you don't learn mathematics. You don't have a future in India. So now Mm. in a country like America, where science and mathematics, there's a girth of students who are learning science and mathematics. Now all of the technologists in this country, they're basically Indian, you see, or Chinese. You see, so what black people are going to have to do, we're going to have to come together like our people did in the South. I was born in South Carolina, my sister. My paternal grandfather was born in Aiken, South Carolina, in 1850. He was enslaved for 15 years. Now, he died in 1950. He lived to be 100 years old. He died a little bit before I was born. The laws in South Carolina at that time that were established in uh, 1740 and then reinstituted in uh, 1800 and then rewritten again in 1830, these were the anti-literacy laws That forbade black people to read and write. My my grandfather was subjected to those laws. But in South Carolina, the blacks found a way to get around that. You know what they would do? They would go out at midnight, from midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning, and they would read by moonlight. Did you hear what I said?
4: Sister, did you hear me? Yes. Hello? Hello?
2: Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, brother. Continue.
3: Okay. They would go out and they would read by moonlight. Okay? Mm. Now, my my grandfather acquired literacy. So now the problem was when black people came out of their enslavement, only about 7% of them could read and write. But Dr. Du Bois said when he came into the South, when he came from uh, Harvard, he said, Everywhere you went, you could see the Negro with his speller and his writer, meaning he was reading and writing. So, from 1865 to 1930, black people eliminated their illiteracy rate by 70 percent. Okay, mm. I want you to think about that. My father, my father was one of the children who uh, who who uh, who were went to schools in South Carolina to what they called the Rosenwald Schools. In 1914, black people got together and they raised $5 million. In 1914, it was matched by a Jewish entrepreneur called Rosenwald. And then black people created their own independent school system. You see, that's the spirit that we must recapture. All throughout the South, blacks had schools called Rosenwald Schools. And those schools provided blacks With proper education. My father only went to the 8th grade, but he was one of the most literate men that I've ever met. And because my father used to read every day as a young boy, my father never told me to read, but he taught me culture, because I wanted to do what my father did. Today, Mm. black men don't read to their children. So now, Mm. we have to go back and find our ancestors, so we can do once again what they did. They created Mm. schools in the South. Mary McLeod Bethune she she established Bethune Cookman University, which is uh, Bethune Cookman University today. She put that university together with three dollars and fifty cents. Mm. So we have to come back together to develop culture, so we can have productive institutions. In our hmm. country, in our, in uh, our brother community. Rahman,
2: I just want to let you know that we have uh, sister Mayat who wants to to readdress the com- the uh, conversation with you about Sheikh Auntie Diop, and then we have brother Mohammed from New York City on the line. And um, I guess you you're aware now that brother Leroy is here. So if you could okay. go ahead into uh, sister Mayat's question, and then our brother Mohammed will come right in, and Leroy, it's yours now. <laughs> so sister
4: Mayat is going to ask me a question. I'm here. Yes. Yes. Can you hear me, brother?
3: I can hear you, Sister Maya. Yes, go ahead.
4: Yes. Yes. Um, the first part of my question was I didn't have um, good volume at the beginning, but I did hear the name Shake Anta Diop, and I'd like you to uh, expand and elaborate on, I imagine it might have been inspiration, explain to the audience his background, who he was, because a lot of our younger people, especially these days, might not be aware. And a little bit on your background and why you went into the field that you did. And I'll listen over yes. the air.
3: Thank you, and, Sister Maya. I want to say to you, thank you for calling. You, 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 you have connected me now to the ancestors, and I'm my cup is overflowing. Okay, okay. and thank I'm you. So
5: that you, you yes. That. We uh,
3: Our people are so disconnected, and they don't know what the Creator has bequeathed us with.
4: I'm mm-hmm. yes. you uh, if you're talking. I'm sorry? No, I was, I'm sorry, brother. I, I was talking to somebody else.
3: <laughs> okay, all right.
4: Continue, okay.
3: please. Okay. I was a student. I'm going to give you a background how I came into the work of Sheikanta Joe and how I met Sheikanta. I was <laughs> a student at well. I was a student at Rutgers University, and I was studying for a doctorate in chemistry. And there's a brother who lives in Brooklyn who is a pediatrician now in in Brooklyn. I met him at Rutgers University's medical school, and uh, he had a book. The title of the book was The African Origin of Civilization, Myth or Reality. He let me have that book. I had heard about Shikanta, but I, I had been out in... Uh, Colorado, and I, I had studied at the, at the University of Denver. So I had a history background because, you know, being a Geechee and being from South Carolina, you know, the Geechees, that's where all the oral, oral historians came into South Carolina from West Africa. So I grew up uh, among the storytellers, the feelers as a young boy, and my mother, my mother had that idyllic memory, so that's a part of my uh, cultural, I guess you might say, and biological inheritance. I had a historical background and interest when I went to the university, and I studied history, but I studied science, because I knew that science would give me an opportunity uh, for me to find my place in the universe and try to figure this thing out, how black people got in this condition. But my friend let me read that book, and then reading that book, uh, I joke. I, came, I became so enthralled with it. I knew I had to go to Senegal. I had to drop what I was doing, studying for a doctorate, and go and study, uh, meet Sheikh Anta Joe and I wanted to go and study with him. But when I got there and I met him the very first time at the University of Dakar, which is now, by the way, the University of Sheikh Anta Joe. when I met Dr. Joe uh, the first time, he gave a le- lecture, a three-hour lecture, on the peopling of... Ancient Egypt and the decipherment of the Moretic Script, okay, and what Sheikh did, he presented this work in nineteen seventy four at the University of Cairo. He had asked UNESCO at a conference two years early in Paris, France, to have a colloquium in Egypt, at Cairo, to invite scholars from all over the world who were specialists in the knowledge of pharaonic Egypt, you know. And Dr. Job took with him Theophil Obinga, the Congolese linguist and historian and philosopher. The conference lasted for uh, 10 days, from 7 in the morning to 10 at night. Dr. Diop he used uh, history, uh, prehistoric anth- archaeology, anthropology, human paleontology, and the staggering field of molecular biology to show. Brother Rockman,
5: yes. can you hear Brother me? R- yeah,
6: I can yes. hear you now. You were saying that he was using paleontology and, and other uh, aspects of science. That's where That's, your voice...
5: That's right. Mm-hmm.
3: Shall I continue? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was using paleontology, prehistoric archaeology, and the staggering field of molecular biology. And he showed that by the time...
5: Uh, uh, those Africans
3: populated ancient Egypt There were no white or yellow people Races in the world There were mm-hmm. all African people Only black people And those blacks came from the Great Lakes regions of Africa And they populated ancient Kemet Okay And then from there They went all over the world They went into China They went into India They went into Australia They went into New Zealand They came through America Through America via the Barron Strait that connects Russia with uh, Siberia pardon me, Siberia with Alaska, and they populated the three Americas, North, South, and Central America. And then later, during the coldest period of the history of the, of the Earth, which lasted for 600,000 years, those blacks who were living in Africa, they went into Europe, okay? And the results of that can be studied by a man called, he was called the man. These were very dwarf African, with elongated heads, and that's called dilocephalic. In the south of mm-hmm. France, they found these bones in the cave. So what this has shown is that blacks, in the beginning, they populated the earth, they colonized the earth, and no other people were living in the world mm-hmm. African. And so mm-hmm. now there's a phenomenon, and my research has been stifled because I was It was stifled, but this is what I've been showing, that those Africans, they went into Europe, and now what we have to try to demonstrate, not try, but we must do it to show how those Africans who went into Europe and remained in the cold gave birth to white people, to European people, okay? The process and the pedigree can be seen. For example, we have black people living in the south of India who are black, 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 Okay, some of them look like uh, like it's midnight black, but their hair is straight, as straight as any European you can find. In uh, Australia, we have black people living there. Some of them have blonde hair. Some of them have brunette hair. Some of them even have red hair. This is what we call biological phenomenon. Black people have uh, polymorphic genes, meaning for all of the people in the earth, you can go to Africa and you can find all of those genes. Hello?
2: Hello. Yes, Brother Mbrothman, we're here. We can hear you clearly. Okay. So what it means is that
3: life has a single humanity, and that humanity was all African. So this is what Sheikh Ante Job uh, was explaining in his work, and he, uh, he gave me an epiphany, and my work, I have continued on that work, but I have gone, I've even taken this work, To another level because what I'm showing not only are black people the first people of the earth, we are in fact the first people of the universe. So I, in my work I attempt to show how black people came from space fully developed and then they came on earth and that's why we have such a phenomenal ability and potential that no other people have because in the beginning there was no one but us around and so that's why we have this unique and original inheritance because we we have the knowledge and the potential of the creator. And when when you come back to ancient Africa, you come back to Kemet, and you go back into Memphite theology, and you look at the concept of the noon. The noon is a state of existence that caused existence to come into existence from the existence that always existed. Thus the noon began to exist. That's how being came into existence from darkness and it, a, a single atom appeared in space. And that's why in the noon they talk about Ptah, who is the master of the darkness, and then the opposite of Ptah is Amun-Ra, and they are all are self-created. When you, if you've been to Kemet and you go into Memphis, you can see in the tombs they have this uh, design, and George G.M. James in Stolen Legacy, he was the first one to bring this to our attention, to show that the Egyptians saw themselves as deities, as gods and that's what black people have to accept, that we too have that potential. When uh, Theophil Obinga came uh, to Howard University, I think it may have been in the late 1990s, and he interpreted uh, the Meduneter and the late uh, Ivan Van Sertum a Peace Be Upon Him, for he's an ancestor now. He brought that to attention, that that knowledge had never been uh, interpreted before, and we'd never, under, we'd never understood, understood it because... Uh, Dr. Obinga can interpret the Medunether. And so what black people have to know now from a scientific perspective, that single atom appeared in the universe and that atom, it created our first ancestor who is thus the creator. And we are a part of that. What is in that atom is potentially in each and every one of us. So Brother Rockman, I'll
6: leave. Brother it. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry, yes. Brother Rachman, we have Brother Muhammad on the line. Brother Muhammad, okay. your question. Thank you for your patience.
5: Yes,
7: yes. I'd just like to uh, thank Brother Rahman for his chronological uh, information concerning uh, the grafting process of the original black people on the planet and how mm-hmm. uh, the areas of the geographical location show that there are blacks with blonde hair and uh, mm-hmm. Indian that uh, are jet black. You'll notice your eyebrows. The hair on your Mm -hmm. eyebrows uh, match the East Indian's hair, but the hair on your head is different because of a process which enabled us to stand up in the fields as slaves. And you're very right about the blacks inhabiting the entire planet. At one time, before the Paleolithic and then the Neanderthal people, they called them Grimaldi Negroids.
3: That's so right. the that's
7: Caucasian leaky and those will admit that the continent of Europe was occupied by Grimaldi Necroids. I'd like to know exactly. if I can get your uh, contact numbers.
3: Yes, you may. I would love to do that, Brother Mohammed. And I'm going to say we have names that are similar, and I want you to know that I am a student of the Honorable Elijah Mohammed. He, uh, I heard his teachings when I was a young boy, growing up in South Carolina, I think I was maybe about 12, 13. My my, my uh, sister was a pen pal with a Muslim uh, at Temple 27 in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I, I one day I went in and I read some of her letters and some of her books, and I saw that she had a paper, and that paper was Message to the Black Man. And unbeknownst to me, it, I, it would put me on a journey, you know, on the cover of this book, had, a, had a, a, a little short man who was wearing a kufi, a fez, as you might say. And in that fez he <laughs> <laughs> had the star, moon and sun, and that's showing that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had mastered the knowledge of the universe. Do you hear me, Brother Muhammad? Yes. And so from yes, that I'm point... i you,
7: Brother. I, I'll get that information. I just okay. want to stay in touch with because I like what you're doing with the youth, and you're putting them on a mathematical level. And, oh, and taking them to higher sciences like you uh, are. Okay. I'm in total agreement with you, sir. Thank oh, you so thank much. You.
3: Uh, let me give Thanks you my email. I'm going right. to
7: give, it,
3: gonna give okay. you my email. Okay. Yeah, you can give M- it over the. Uh... M. Rahman, R A H M A N M A at AOL.com. At M-N-O-L.com? Uh it's At uh, com. yes.
7: Thank you so much.
3: I'm going to elaborate on some of the things that Brother Muhammad talked about so the audience may get a better view because this knowledge really came into being by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and I'm currently writing a book and the title of the book is Shake On to Joke to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and I hope that this book will help the black nation to move forward. Uh, hmm. In the, be- like in the-, the <laughs> beginning yes, it is necessary. In fact, this book not that it's, that it's no ego involved in me, but that's why I had to meet Anta Diop, and this goes back to Sister Mayotte, and I hope she's listening. Anta Diop, when I first met him in Senegal, I wanted to go and do my Ph.D. with him, but two things happened. He died unexpectedly, and I, and I had two of my sisters got murdered in New York. So that took me into a
5: spin,
3: and it took me about five okay. years to come out of that and, but when I did, Allah, Allah blessed me with this phenomenal knowledge. And now, Allahu Akbar. I had, uh-huh, Allahu Akbar, I had to develop myself before I could be able to bring it all together and to put it into a presentation. But I say to you, brother, and to the audience who is listening, this knowledge now it is the highest level of knowledge in the universe. Not because yes. it's coming from me, not because it's coming from me, because it has come from Allah. Okay, and yeah, we have to know that from the triple darkness that the honorable Elijah Muhammad talked about. He said that, that Adam gave life to the Creator, and then that Creator himself he was self-created from triple darkness. So you see, uh, blackness is not a color; it is a nature, and it is the nature of all things. You see, and so in the beginning the first, the first black man is a very he was very dwarf, very short. No taller than, we might say, uh, no taller than four feet. The Europeans, when they came to Africa, they called these people pygmies. But if you go into the Congo, if you go into Burundi, you go into Cameroon and Equatorial Guinea, if you go into India, they were in Australia and New Zealand. If you go into the Philippine Islands and Malaysia and even Taiwan, they were in Japan, they were even in North America. And these were the shortest people in the earth, okay? And a lot of them have been wiped out by larger Homo sapiens who came in, okay, if we use that term. But if you come back to Africa you will find them and they are masters of the rainforest. They know all of That's the right. species. They know all of the animal species. When women in the surrounding areas do not have children, they come to the toil and the tois mm-hmm. give them Medici- they are medicinal plants and medicine. And then in nine months, you come back and you see the woman has had a child. You see? Months, the Akbar. Mm. You go into the Sudan. And then in the Sudan, you find the Dinkas, okay? And the Dinkas are the tallest people in the earth. Our late brother, mm. Manu he came from the Dinkas. And some of those people are almost eight feet tall. In fact, Manu was seven feet, six inches. Okay, sure. so what this means is that, see, when you live in the desert, and, and in the case of the Dinka, they, dr- they drink the milk of the cow and the blood of the cow. The milk helps in the development of uh, bone development, and the blood is for protein. So the taller you are living in the desert, the more pore space you have, and the more pore space you have, the higher your rates of respiration are. So it allows you to be, be cool and survive in the desert. Okay? Now, Brother Mohammed Yes, Brother Mohammed had alluded To the the type of hair Like you see black Hair in, in America In the Caribbean, in parts of Africa Sub-Saharan Africa You see it's kinky That's because the DNA has hit The sebaceous glands of the scalp And caused the hair to coil To protect them against the Ultraviolet rays of the sun If this really? hair had not Coiled, it would not allow us to work in the cotton fields of Georgia and Mississippi and Alabama And the sugarcane fields of the Caribbean This is how Allah protected us For he He knew what we were going to have to be sub- subjected to So he allowed, he allowed the DNA to undergo morphological changes You see mm. So now Africa is like a giant test tube You have the shortest That's people in the I world
5: call.
3: The tallest <laughs> people in the world In all of the intermediate stages We have the Sankoi and the Koi Koi, the San are, are those sisters with those very large steatopedias posteriors. You've seen some of that, Brother Leroy, you know? Right. Okay? Right. Yeah. And you go in South Carolina, particularly in Berkeley County, because in South Carolina, in the beginning, a lot of the blacks came from Angola. And Angola is in Southwest Africa, and that borders the Kalahari Desert. And so a lot of those Africans who came into South Carolina, they have steatopedias. And on my family, family, I used to see that I used to see that on my maternal side because they were real, real, real Africans. Okay, and so this is what we have to be able to understand this biological and physical phenomenon. In the teachings of the honorable Elijah Muhammad, he taught us about all of these things: how the hair underwent a a cropping process to protect us from the ultraviolet rays of the sun. And to protect us from heat stroke. okay? So now you go back to Africa, you go into Ghana and Senegal, Cameroon, you see all of these black people who have recessive traits. They have black, black skin, but they have slanted eyes, okay? So, yes. now, yeah, so now when you go to China, okay, and Japan, we know that the first inhabitants of China and Japan and Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, The Philippine Islands were black. I was in Toronto, no, I was in, uh, not Toronto, Canada. I was in uh, British Columbia, Canada, and I went there to give a lecture. And I wanted to get me acupuncture, and that day I went to uh, a Chinese acupuncturist. He treated me. And out of the blue, he told me, he said he was reading a journal in China, and he discovered, he had discovered from this journal that the first people of China was black. And then right. I went into it, yes, and I I, I elaborated it, on it in more detail. And he told me he wanted to treat me for free hmm. because I amplified rock, rock, uh... Now, one day, hmm. one day when I was in Senegal, the family who adopted me was from the late Abubatu, Abibatu inyang She was a beautiful woman, and she's she's an ancestor now. But I met her son at hmm. Columbia University. And when I went to Senegal, he gave me a letter. And once I gave her the letter that he sent me, when she set me, me up at the head of that table. She told me, she said, Mohammed, you sit at the head of this table because her son was not there and her, father, her husband had gone. So one day she was telling me that her and Sheikh Job were very dear friends. She said, one day Sheikh Antajouk came to her house. And he was he was excited like a boy in a candy store. Because oh. a, group, a group of Afro, a group of Japanese scholars they came to Senegal and they told Sheikh Anta Joe that we have discovered evidence of your work that the first people of Japan were indeed black people. You see? Mm-hmm. And those were the twelve people. Shekante wrote about that in his book, uh in the African origin of civilization. That in order to be a samurai, so uh, to order to be a samurai Sorry. soldier, you had to have a bit of black in you, okay. Mm-hmm. And so Chekanta, he he was so happy to see that these Japanese had come to America. But when I first met him, I was a young student, and he when I asked him questions, his face lit up like a he became so luminous like a light bulb, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he told he told me he said that he was convinced that the real scholars of African history, they are not in Africa, but they are sure. in America.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, he said the real historians, the real linguists, too, are not in Africa. Mm-hmm. They are in America.
5: He said sure. when he was
3: studying chemistry, he could tell that the knowledge in America was higher. And he said this. Uh, he, he said that one day our brothers from America, they will come back and they will have the, the, the knowledge to reconcile all the problems that Africa has. In 1995, I was invited to Senegal, and I gave a lecture at the University of Sheikante Diop, which, which used to be the University of Dakar. And in my presentation, I told them, I said, 10 years ago, I was a student on this campus, but now I have come back, and Anta mentioned, that brothers would come from the States, would later come to the States, with ideas of how Africa must redeem itself. And I am one of those students, you know. And that was a beautiful, beautiful lecture that I gave at the University of Cheikh Anta in 1996 on the 10th oh, anniversary
5: that?
3: of the death of Cheikh Anta Diop. I could go on. Cheikh Anta Diop is the author of the African origin of civilization, myth of uh, or reality, uh, colonial black Af- colonial Africa, uh, oh, no, pardon me, pre-colonial Africa. Uh, Black Africa, uh, Economic and Political Basis. Uh, His most recent book when I was in Senegal uh, Senegal was Civilization or Barbarism, which shows the genetic and biological relationship between Pharaonic Egypt and present-day West Africa. Okay? And he's written uh, three to to five books, additional books in French, that have yet to be translated into uh, English. I can go on. But the work of Shakespeare does not come
5: into fruition without
6: the authority of Muhammad. Brother Rachman, let me me interject here and let folks know that this is Blog Talk Radio, of course, and it's the Keys 107 network, and the program is The Communicators. Our guest online is Brother Rachman. He's a Ph.D. candidate, but as you can hear from his dialogue, he's probably unofficially, and I put that in quotes unofficially, about two or three PhDs in the present.
5: And you have
6: the the opportunity of calling in and joining in this conversation. This is part of the series Gifted and Talented for All. The premise is that each and every human being is gifted and talented. The way the system of gifted and talented programs in America is set up is based on white supremacy.
3: White supremacy,
6: as it reflects, the gifted and talented schools are in Caucasian neighborhoods. The gifted and talented uh, uh, student base is primarily Caucasian, which makes black people who get in think that they're elite and makes black people don't get in, makes them think that they're inferior in some cases and highly frustrated in other cases. So through this series, we're putting out information on how young black boys and girls who have been basically cast to the side as ungifted and untalented with the proper education programs have demonstrated high achievement in the science and math areas. And that's, that's the right. only tip of this particular series, ladies and gentlemen. You can buy into this gifted and talented program that the the uh, Caucasians have set up, but if you do, you're just validating something that's unfair to every child. That's every right. school should have gifted and talented aspects within That school setting So that all the children Can have their gifts And talented talents uh, Exposed And nurtured So that's the reason For this series So you can join In the conversation 213-943-3618 213-943-3618 Question uh, Brother Muhammad Is that You interspersed a lot of your dialogue with The teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad yes. And my observation With yourself And with other Brothers and sisters in the science Area And in other areas is that There is a, a Dramatic difference That the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's Teachings makes To what they already know in the area of Scholarship or science And All I know is that it happens. What, in your observation, from your own personal standpoint, is a a a change factor that the teachings have made, the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has made for you and uh, other brothers and sisters who you interact with, who uh, adopt the teachings of the Messenger.
5: That's
3: Brother Leroy. Very beautiful question. For me. I can give you that response in a very short answer. It's the knowledge of self. Okay. Yeah, the knowledge of self. The knowledge of self is the collective knowledge of all of the knowledge of the universe. You see, so for the Muslim, remember the first commandment in Islam is Ikra, to read, you see. And when you get the knowledge of self, look at Malcolm. What, did, what was it that put Malcolm on that path, Brother Leroy? A man sure. with the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. You
5: see? Mm-hmm.
3: And, and went to Harvard, and went to Harvard, and ha- had a in colloquy argument with those lawyers at Harvard, and slaughtered them one by one. Look mm. at Minister Farrakhan Look at Minister Farrakhan He doesn't have all of these b- degrees from all of these universities, right? But yet right. he look look at how he articulates and defends the teachings of the honorable Boy Elijah Muhammad. For me, as I came into the nation. And as I went through the period of processing, learning how to eat to live and, 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 and reading and studying my history, they told me older brothers told me they said, come they said, brother, one day you're gonna make a, deci- a decisive contribution to the black nation.
7: Wow. Did you hear what I said?
3: Yeah. And I said and that's how they they prepared me when I was a young brother. I mean, just in the university, nineteen and twenty. You see, so I myself You know, everybody wanted to be a minister Personally, I didn't see myself I saw myself as a student In the ministry of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad But I wanted to be a scientist Because I saw When the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said That the black man is a scientist by nature That's what I wanted I wanted to tap into that So I could be a part of that So I could help the nation To develop educationally And to that end, I began to meet great teachers uh, like uh, Dr. Alim uh, Abdul Alim Shabazz, the, the great uh, mathematician from MIT, Cornell, and Lincoln University. And then I read about Dr. Frederick Thomas, who was a doctor from Rochester, New York, who was a scientist, a historian, and a doctor. And I read about Abdul Salam and all of those brothers. They inspired me. And I kept developing the knowledge of self. And once you get the knowledge of self, that gives you energy, okay? And Mm -hmm. that energy gives you knowledge, and that enables you to overcome obstacles. And when you can overcome obstacles, you can become productive, but you must become disciplined. And eating right, no smoking, no drinking, you know, and that gives you longevity, and it gives Mm -hmm. you focus, you see? And so that's what black people must focus on. Because of our experience in America, and the liberalization of the black man We have been taught to hate discipline You see And that's where we are When we come into the nation of Islam In the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad For me, it was the knowledge of self It's a new way It's a new way of looking at yourself A new way of looking at others And how to find your place in the universe And so, you know It's like trying to approach infinity But you never get it <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like trying to get to infinity, but you just make another discovery, and that keeps you going, and that's the that's the vastness of the creation of Allah. That's the vastness of the universe, and so and, that's but, what the honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us,
6: Brother Rahman. Uh, it, and and this carries over into the math and science programs that you have established. In the various schools that you have been in, these these uh, middle schools, et cetera, the right. incorporating into just just tell us for the teachers and for the principals, principals out there, just share with us how you have been able to weave the knowledge of self into the curriculum, and and what you have seen happen as a result yes. of that.
3: Yes, you know, but I, I've had some, I've had some very profound experiences. But now, well, uh, let me let me first elaborate on some of the experiences, and then I'll tell you how things have changed. I remember in the 1980s, I think it was about 1989. Uh, the superintendent for the schools, uh, she relented and allowed us, myself and three other scientists, to come into her school and. What we did we we, we developed an after program from three o'clock to six thirty. And uh we took uh fourth, fifth and sixth graders and we taught them the knowledge of self but when I went into the schools I I called it a theory of culture and I taught mm-hmm. the history, the culture and the science. And brother, that was so transformative just just from teaching the history, the culture and the science. And then I had a, a, another brother to teach the mathematics, and another brother taught the science. As I laid the foundation, what I was doing, I was laying the culture. See, you have to create a milieu. Do you understand? You have to create the right context and an environment in which our students can learn.
5: Mm-hmm. Brother,
3: we did it and uh, uh, tried. Well, the first we did a we did a ten week program. It was so transformative. We saw students. After about seven weeks, they were having inquiline discussions on the origin of Egypt or Kemet, I should say, and they were talking about Australopithecus africanus, uh, Australopithecus uh, uh, africanus, Australopithecus forensia uh, and uh, Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, and the language in which they were they were doing. We gave them a deep knowledge of the history. It was very, very deep. And then on the science side, we taught them the history of science, where science came from. And then one day, a group of students, they came to the school. It was on a Saturday because we were showing them how to put together uh, science projects. And they did a very powerful, uh, they, they developed very powerful science projects. And then almost spontaneously, a little boy in the eighth grade, um, pardon me, a little boy in the fourth grade, he went to the board, and he drew a crystal lattice. It was uh, a sodium chloride molecule. Leroy, this little boy was about nine years old. He drew the cra- i mean, the straightest and most beautiful crystal lattice that I've ever seen. No one told him to do that. He went to the board and he did it. Mm. I didn't learn how to draw that until I got to college. <laughs> Are you still there?
6: <laughs> I, I'm listening, brother. Go ahead, run this thing. <laughs> can you hear me, brother? Brother Rodney, right. please. I I can hear you, brother. You you was talking about he drew this crystal crystal Is that the
3: pronunciation? Lattice. Crystal lattice, lattice. Crystal lattice. It's a sodium chloride molecule. It's table salt. Yeah. And he drew it. Yeah. He he drew it. And I looked at I looked at Doctor Doctor Rashid, and I said, "Oh God, oh my God, did you see what he did? You know." And we have we have we have collected that data, and we haven't we haven't published it yet. But we were saying between he and I because he's a friend of mine, and we said we're going to publish that information, let our people know what we can achieve with our children now. 20 years after that, Leroy, there has been a a deeper collapse in the black community. Right now, there's so much social decomposition in our communities. Black people have committed moral suicide.
5: Mm. Yeah,
3: we have committed moral suicide. And now mm. our efforts are going to have to be deeper because black people are in the dunya. You know, that's what they call, in, in, in Islam, we call that jahilil. That's the state of ignorance. And with black people, it's in compulsory ignorance. And that's what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us. He said, when a civilized man, man fails to do his duty, what will happen? Right. You see? And that's where we are, Brother Leroy. We have to go back now. We have to go back now in the process of resurrection must start all over again for our people. Even black people with education, so called education, they too, they are not properly educated. You see? Let, and me give, I think,
6: let me let me give the telephone number once again before we conclude with Brother okay. Rogan. The telephone number to speak with this brother is two one three nine four three three six one eight two one three 943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad and that lets our engineer know that you have a question for Brother Rahman. And um, as we're waiting on anyone who desires to call in, the um, question as it relates to uh, pathways to solutions to some of these situations that we're dealing with in school, once again, my basic or the basic premise of the communicators is that every child is gifted and talented, as you pointed out, Malcolm. Malcolm That's right. I mean, you, you, you have these stories over and over again of how youngsters where principals or teachers have taken it upon themselves to have expectations of of ability, meaning these children have the ability to do this work and setting up an environment for them to do that and nurturing them, that these students have gone on to become great achievers. Now, right. they're not in gifted and talented schools. And this is our the, the whole point, ladies and gentlemen. We must know that every child in our family, in our neighborhood, is gifted and talented. We have to strive to set up an environment where we can provide some of the stimulus for them to develop, whether it's That's taking right. them to the museum, whether it's mm-hmm. getting some yeah. paper for them, sitting down with a book and reading it to them, or get a, getting a children's science book and trying to do experiments with them. We have to right. do these things and not wait on the so-called charter schools and public schools to teach our children the basics now. Telephone number two, one three nine four three three six one eight hit one on your telephone keypad that lets us know you have a question as we are uh, approach concluding here's here's the thing what are recommendations that you have for parents who are listening who have toddlers or uh, you know children under let's say four or five years of age and some things that they can do. What would be your recommendations for children who are older, some of Mm. whom have bought into the myth that they're dumb and they can't learn math and science? So uh, we mm. want to leave leave the audience with some tips. Yes, ma'am.
2: Yes, um, this is Sister Rafika. I want to join in this conversation um, with with an opinion and 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 an observation based on my experience being a public school teacher of ten years in elementary school level in Brooklyn. Um, right there in. is a um, there is a problem in 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 the uh, education system with with the line of this conversation in that we're stating and I'm agreeing with you that all children are gifted. I am a firm believer in that. But in the public school system, when you have a um, gifted quote unquote program that program is not to nurture the the natural talents of the children these are for that these programs and this is years ago perhaps it's changed but i doubt it um mm-hmm. these programs are geared towards children who are excelling um in the a plus categories um mm-hmm. they are in gifted classes where they get special programs
4: right. they get
2: um and i and i and i taught a gifted class one one uh-huh. year and the uh-huh. amount of programs i had to do i got i had to do very little day-to-day instruction because we always had these wonderful programs come in i i can't even explain to you like for example one time we had these two women who were very eclectic kind of women and they came in with markers and scented markers and the children made instruments with beans and the scented markers and they listened to jazz music. And it was all right. about cultivating some yeah. kind of um you know, music. But what I'm what I'm saying is that the the problem in my observation is that we as teachers are not nurturing the the, the gifted abilities of all children, which falls in line That's with right. the multiple intelligences where how you teach right. is based on how people learn
5: hmm Yeah,
0: different stuff. If...
3: Go
2: Hello? ahead.
3: I'm here. No, Go no, ahead. no, no. No. Okay. Here here's what I, I I I understand very well what you're saying. And here here here's the problem. Here's here's what I see the problem for black people. See, uh educational research, you know, based largely on uh psychology, behavioral sciences and also with the advent of neurobiology, because now we can understand more about how the brain has been developed or how it is developing in relationship of the mind. This is something what uh, I had a conversation with the late, great Amos Wilson. Are you familiar with Amos Wilson? Yes, sir. Okay. Amos Wilson had done a lot of research in this area. And uh, another brother uh, another brother, who... Uh, who joined the ancestors, Acer Hilliard, he had done some work in this area, too, uh, because when I was in school, I, I I studied some of the psychology that had, some of the psychological studies that had taken place in uh, East Africa, where uh, African children were walking even at six months, and European mm-hmm. children w- were not even walking probably into maybe the 11th or 12th month. And they were showing that black children were motor, motorly, motor, and sen- their motor and sensory perception exceeded European. Okay, now we know now that synaptic development takes place most most rapidly between birth and five. Okay, and when children are not put in the right milieu and are not exposed to language acquisition, okay, that those sensory receptors. That, t- that taking knowledge from the environment, they shut down, and once those sensory receptors shut down, it can actually cause mental retardation. Okay, sure. within the last within the last twenty five years, I would say phenomena have taken place in the black community, right here in the city of New Brunswick, New Jersey, where I first started teaching. When the, when the Erie School collapsed. I went into the public schools not to be a teacher because I didn't really want to be a part of it, honestly, because I knew what they were doing. But I used to go in and and, and be a sub because I wanted to see what was taking place. And Brother Leroy, sometimes I used to watch the mothers bring their children to the schools and it was obviously that they were on drugs, okay? But what was worse, the children looked like they were on drugs too,
5: Mm. you see,
3: And what I'm saying now, in the black community, we are struggling and suffering from so much. You know, it's not just socioeconomics, but the drugs. We are in the wrong paradigm on everything that we're doing educationally. I go back to what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did. Remember, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad refused to send his children to public schools. Not only his children, but Muslim children. Remember, he was the first one to be, he was the first one to go to jail for that. You see, the way I see it now, the only way out for black people to turn this thing around, we're going to have to create our own independent mm-hmm. school, and we're going to have to develop these schools for ourselves. People may challenge that, and they will say, they'll say, oh, that's not realistic. But I say this, look at this society, and you can see the knowledge of this world it is coming to an end. You see, now there has to be a new knowledge, and that's what black people are going to have to do. We are going to have to get together, pool together our resources to create our own uh, social structures where we can have productive education, productive education, and we can produce proper education to our children. Isn't it ironic that all other people who are in America, they can create independent school systems, but when it comes to black people, we are still on the outside. Looking in, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's in such, we we are in such a horrendous condition right now. When you go into the schools and you see, you know, even now with the influx of the Latinos coming into the country, and they haven't been here that long, and now they're even outperforming blacks. You see, mm-hmm. I think I think something is wrong with that paradigm. You see, and I think mainly the problem is cognitively, black people are disconnected. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we came from. We don't even know where our knowledge should come from. You see? Mm. So once again, I say we are going to have to find our ancestors and not only find them, we're going to have to meet them face-to-face. And we have to remember that our first ancestor is the creator.
6: In, in terms of what Sister Rafika was saying, describing the the elements of, um, you know, she was dealing with, a, with achieving students. Um, mm-hmm. And then they brought in uh, some people with bells and whistles. Uh, we call them mm-hmm. America, bells and whistles. Oh, phenomena! Phenomena! Uh, right, your right. your your observations on that?
3: They brought in bells and whistles, but I, what I didn't I'm quite saying, get.
6: You know, no. What I'm saying in in in, in corporate America, when somebody comes in with something that's so-called new out of the norm. We call it bells and whistles.
0: Oh, oh,
3: oh, oh I, I see what you mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see what you mean. Well, that, that's, that's the thing. Listen, and this is what Sister Rafika, I think she's tapping into this. See, you have to remember, whenever you, whenever you are teaching proper education to African-American children and whenever the people who are, who are in charge they find out that that 's what you 're doing. they are going to find a way to dismantle what you 're doing the whole like, The whole intent is not to provide proper education for african American children. You have to remember remember when we first our ancestors were first brought to this country. remember I had quoted earlier those laws, those anti literacy laws that were created in in seventeen forty and then reinstituted in eighteen hundred uh and then again in 1830, that forbade black people to read and write. Now, that's what they did in, in, at that time. But they put barriers in our way every sense, you see. And that's what we have to do. We have to be aware of that. We have to go back and read Du Bois. Read what Du Bois talked about when he came from Burlington, uh, Massachusetts, down into Tennessee and Atlanta and what he saw. And read a book a book by Dr. Horace, Horace Mann Bond, the father of Julian Bond, who studied the Negro in Alabama and their education and what black people did, what they achieved, you see, and go back and look at what Carter G. Woodson talked about. You see, the research has already already been done, but we haven't been listening, you see. Well, you know, so um, um,
2: looking... Brother, Brother Leroy, I, I want to just interject because I know your your time is running down, but Brother Leroy, one of the suggestions, and Brother Rahman, one of the suggestions that I would like to offer is that when we are um, planning um, to build our schools, one one thing that we have to keep in mind is that this concept of gifted, as I as I um, identified it early in my earlier my earlier comment, my earlier uh, quote or point, is that all children are gifted, all children have talents, and those programs that I was talking about earlier, and it, and I just gave an example of one of them, but there were many. Those programs are funded programs. These people mm-hmm. who come into the school system have these um, eclectic things that they do, and some of them are science-based, um, some of them are entertainment-based, but they are mm-hmm. funded programs. The district pays okay. for these people to come in and teach these, these modules, but it's only okay. for those children who are high achievers and the other okay. children who have low lower grades are neglected. They don't even ha they don't even maybe maybe they don't even know that these programs exist. Myself as a teacher in the school system did not know that those okay. programs existed until I taught the gifted class. Do you understand? I got you. So but I'm my you. my solution to that would be to approach it where all of our children who enter our schools are gifted and we have to find What their talents are, nurture that talent and allow them to grow and be who they are ordained to be, rather than give them a curriculum that does that goes against what their natural path is. I understand, and and we're on the same we're on the same path because
3: listen, uh, my experience is this: black children are potentially brilliant. Tragically the vast majority of them are ending up being brilliantly unsuccessful, you see. And that's what I think is happening. Again, we have not created the right environment. I think parents must become educated too because the majority of the parents, they have been miseducated, you see. And I think that is the problem.
5: We can't provide proper education for the children,
3: not provide proper education for the parents as well. And not only that, Yeah, teachers and administrators, they must be properly educated too. Because we have to remember, when we go to these schools and get degrees in uh, education and we go and get masters in education, none of these schools have taught us how to come back into the community and teach the children from those communities. I'm speaking largely for African Americans because the paradigm that we've been educated in, they're largely Eurocentric. You Mm -hmm. see? So we have to develop a new a new paradigm, and that's going to mean that we're going to have to change our belief system and we're going to have to change our value, our value. Well, you
2: know what, Brother Rothman, I'm going to close, and I'm going to let uh, you and Brother Leroy close, stop, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to close with this statement. Okay. Educators Education is the only field where people come into it with prior knowledge, prior experience, mm-hmm. because you come into it from your experience as a student. You have to have at least a master's degree to be in a, a teacher today. So that means you went full through K through twelve. You went, through, you, mm-hmm. you did your undergrad, and then you did your master's. And in all of mm-hmm. those experiences, you sat in the chair and you were taught, you were lectured, you you experienced learning from a paradigm that is lecture based. So when you mm-hmm. begin to teach, you take your prior knowledge. And you just exemplify or emulate what you've been taught since you were a child. Mm-hmm. You understand? So you stand in front of that that classroom, and I know I'm, I was a victim of that myself. When I started teaching, mm-hmm. I just emulated what I knew. Yeah. Now strategies I, I, of I, okay. teaching and diet, diet and paradigms are not discussed in in education school. Like when you're going to school to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Paradigms of right. your strategies and your pedagogy is not emphasized.
3: Right, and here today, though, know, sister, see, you're right. Uh, the education was lecture le- was lecture based, but education today for children to be productive productive, it must be student student centered. You see, which I mean, you know, you have to engage students so they can they can learn. I mean, and they have to be engaged from a, a practical standpoint. You know, especially. From science and mathematics, you know, it has to be something that they can, uh, they can see themselves as a part of it, you know, and they have Absolutely. to be en- engaged. And they have to be engaged in it, and they have to be active. And so we have to take the theory and reduce it to practicality. That's why I think for African Americans we must have human science, you know, because we have to reclaim our humanity. You see, to be black in America it means that you're not w- worth much. Remember. The Three-Fifth Clause is still active to this very day. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what white supremacy has done. So we must reclaim our humanity and declare that we are black men and black women, okay? And then once we have the human sciences, then we must master the exact sciences, meaning that we must learn the knowledge of the universe so we can master knowledge or we can become self-sustaining and we can bequeath that knowledge to our offsprings so they can learn how to survive. Look in the black community. These are not communities. You know, these are just enclaves where black people live. We don't have any of the social structures that develops productive, productive culture. You know, our education, okay, is not independent. Our politics is not independent. The judicial system, you see? And what if, where is our economy? We don't even have an economy. How can we, right now, schools is the necessary thing that we need But how are we going to get independent schools when black people don't practice collective economics? You see? We can start a school tonight, but it will be closed in the morning, you know, because we don't have long-term funding, you know? So we have to go back, you know, learn the science of of economics, you see, And, and practice collective economics. And I said human science, exact science, and we must have applied science, how to do for ourselves. What we are begging for and waiting for other people to do for us, what we can do for ourselves.
6: Brother, Rachman. Brother Rachman, uh please repeat your email address for some of our callers out there who uh, need to get that in order to communicate with you uh, after the show.
3: I would love to do that. Let me, my first initial, the first initial is M. My last name is Rahman, R A H M A N, M A, at aol dot com. I'm starting a blog too. I just don't have it all together just yet. But once you once you get me get my email and you email me, I'll put you in contact with that blog. Once I I, I get it up, it'll be up in the next couple weeks or so.
6: Okay, so let me repeat your your email address. It's M as in Mohammed, M right. M Rahman, R A H M A N, and then M A as in Masters. M-A, That's right. M M A at aol dot com. That is now, it. That
5: is it. Let me what.
6: The the uh, point that you and Sister Rafika were, were discussing uh, comes down, here's how I'm filtering it, that the model that our educators, black educators get, is a European model, uh, not only in terms of curriculum, but in terms of learning styles, and black people do not have the same learning style as Caucasians. Caucasians' learning style is different from blacks, is different from Indians, is different from Chinese. According to Dr. Edwin Nichols of Washington, D.C., he lays it out very well. Mm-hmm. People can go mm-hmm. to YouTube. They may be able to pick up the learning styles. He he talks about how black people learn quicker, but I'm not going into that. He Okay uh the other piece that i got from so so therefore when you when when i as a teacher black guy wants to be a teacher i go through all the steps i'm going to come out of their programs with my masters i'm going to have european or caucasian model of learning
4: and That's right. today
6: today according to charlotte Isabit, i s e r b y t e Charlotte Isabit, that model is going to be a dumbed down educational model for all Americans. She's Absolutely. A, she has a blog called The Dumbing Down of American Folks in Charlotte Isabit. So, so, therefore, I'm starting as a black person back at least two steps. One, I'm dealing with the Caucasian model of learning. Secondly, the curriculum for American students has been dumbed down. Now, when I break out, when I come into some knowledge and I begin to experiment with what Amos Wilson has laid out, I may have had uh, a touch with Malcolm X. I don't like Elijah Muhammad, but I like Malcolm X, and I like what he said about knowledge itself. So I don't touch uh, Elijah Muhammad. I touch Malcolm X, and I incorporate something of of Malcolm X into what I'm doing, but I'm operating out of the box now. I began to get results from my students. They began to achieve. The authorities who run the school system will find a way to remove me for various reasons. I didn't do my paperwork. Uh, I got in late three times, and I didn't call and all this other kind of stuff, but they will move me out.
0: That's right. And if I'm a
6: principal... They will come up like Shango Blake was another brother in our series of gifted and talented. They will come up with some bogus charges, stealing money and brutalizing mm-hmm. a student, and found guilty even yes. though the witnesses said nothing like that ever happened, and the accountant said well, no money stolen. All right, mm-hmm. so that's a that's a that's a sign. That's an example of a public school principal. In New York City, who took a failing school, failing at the bottom of the garbage heap, to the top, not only in the in the uh, district that it was in, but in Queens, and one of the top schools in New York City, a yes. school where parents were taking their children out of private school and putting them into that school mm-hmm. because it was safe and it was the children were being educated. What I'm saying is that when you step outside the box of the European model of learning and black children begin to learn, you automatically become the bullseye. Now, the other thing that I got out out of when you talk about practicality, that is you can't teach science, you can't teach math even, Without a hands-on demonstration for black children, once you give that hands-on, that hands-on demonstration, the the measurements of, of a board and how you build a house and incorporate all those right. things. One sister has a gardening program at a school up in the Bronx, and mm-hmm. children take to it. They they yeah. they yeah, that's hands-on. There's a lot of science that's in it So right. I'm I'm just adding. These are things that can be done now. And Mm -hmm. if we can't do it fully by opening up the school, we can do it in a weekend class
4: for our children.
6: So I need you to give, give Brother, Brother Rachman, I need you to give some things that parents can do and that adults can do to begin to reverse this cycle of ignorance that's being imposed on not only black children but Caucasian children, Chinese children in America. Yes.
0: Well, I, I,
6: this my focus is black folks. Okay.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah. it has to be black folks, because we're in the we're in the worst condition. We we can, we can teach everybody first of all, you know, and we can teach them justly. But our first our our first commitment is to black people. Because we're in the worst, we're in the worst-off condition. Okay. So, what I would say, Brother Leroy, I go back to the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He said, "Put the culture in the baby bottle."
5: Hmm.
3: You understand? You understand, Brother Leroy? Put the culture in the baby's bottle. Okay. So, what it means that mothers. Even before conception, mothers Mm. have to understand who they are.
5: You understand?
3: And they have to imbue themselves with self-knowledge, self-actualization of who their ancestors were. You see, we can do nothing. We can achieve nothing outside of the ancestors. And that's the problem. The late, great Dr. Barbara Sizemore. Do
5: you remember her, Brother Leroy?
6: Yes, yes, yes. The late sister Barbara Sizemore. Yes,
3: the late, great Dr. Barbara Sizemore, who used to be uh, the chairman of the Educational Department of Education at uh, the University of Pittsburgh and DePaul Mm -hmm. University, and she used to be the superintendent of schools in Washington, D.C. I think Mm -hmm. when Mary Barry was there, there was some
5: disagreement,
3: and she may have gotten fired.
5: But I Mm -hmm. saw her
3: speak at Baruch College uh, about seven years ago before she passed, before she qualified. Before she crossed over, and this is what she said: she said, "Black people have failed. Currently speaking of black people, we have failed to continue the educational legacy for excellence of our ancestors." Really, mm-hmm. and when you go back and study the history, Leroy, that's what she's talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to your point, but this is what this is a caveat that black people have to understand. Those laws that forbade black people to know how to read and write. Mm. Black people had enough temerity to challenge those laws. They would go out at 12 midnight and read to 3 in the morning by moonlight. Now, think about that.
5: You see? They created Mm. secret schools. You see? Yeah, secret schools. The history is in South Carolina. My sister wrote a book.
3: The title of the book, I think, her name is Andrea Williams. Self-taught. Did you ever get that book? No. Self-taught. I'm going to get it now. You see,
6: Andrea, Andrea Williams, self-taught.
5: Pa- self-taught.
3: Yeah, self-taught. This is the majesty of black people. I say to you, if black people could did not have potential of learning, look, remember, the, one of the ironic things of the slave trade, when when the slave trade was going on. In Mali, in West Africa, in the University of Sankore, and Jimmy, that was the most literate place in the world. Did you know that?
6: Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, brother.
3: That was the most literate place in the world. You know, that's the spirit that shed, that produced people like Sheik Joe, okay, and all of these great scholars from West Africa, all of those leaders from the Fulani people. It came out of West Africa, you see? It was a book written by by Lady Lugard. It's called Tropical Africa. When her husband was the Lord Lugard, he was the vice general, uh, general of the Protectorate of Nigeria. When the British came to the Nigeria, to Nigeria in the nineteenth century, they said these people have a culture superior to anything in Europe. These are our ancestors. This is where most of us came. Our people came from West Africa, where we were shipped and disembarked in America. Okay. I say to you, they didn't want us to read and write and to acquire literacy because they know if the playing field is level, they cannot compete with us.
5: Mm.
3: So I say that black people in these schools, okay, we have jobs there. I've been, I, I have had them there and I have them now, but that's not going to save us. We're going to have to educate our children ourselves, and we can't depend on people to educate us. How much should we give and get nothing in return? You know, mm. we have to educate our children ourselves. And the, long we, the longer we prolong this, the longer mm. we're going to continue to suffer. We're going to have to create our own schools so we can save our babies. I have taught so many children in these cities in New Jersey, and I can see the faces of many of them who've been shot in the streets and killed and murdered. I can see young girls who I was teaching, and they were on their way, to succeeding, and then when the funding got cut, several years I came back, I saw them. One little girl, she was pushing a stroller. She had a baby in a stroller, one behind her, and one in her belly. You see mm-hmm. what I mean? This is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. We can't depend on other people to fund our programs. We have to fund them ourselves. And I say, like Dr. Barbara Sizemore said, black people, we have failed to continue the struggle for educational excellence. You know, we have not followed the legacy that has been bequeathed to us. We have to do for ourselves. or We will cease to exist as a people. You know, I don't even want to hear any more about these, you know, when in New York, when these charter schools are opening up 300 spaces and 5,000 black people trying to get their children in those schools. Charter schools are just another segue to privatization. You know, and every turn, black people have been subjected to everything. Brown versus the Board of Education. Look at the schools now. I taught down south, man. The schools up here are more segregated than the schools down south. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that.
5: Well, yeah,
3: it, it, It's another game, man. They're not mm-hmm. going to educate you. You're going to have to educate yourself. I think, you know, we have just done too much. You know, So mm-hmm. show after Paul Robeson. I mean, look at Paul Robeson, you know, who died on the battlefield, trying to make it better for black people. Who? Can you name someone greater than Paul Robeson? I mean, mm-hmm. as a collegiate, as a scholar, as an athlete, as an entertainer. The sister mentioned the jazz program. Who was bringing those jazz programs into the schools? Was it black people?
5: no mm-hmm.
3: You understand? Mm-hmm. No, ahead, Look, I have a brother. Just a brother who I used to work with in Orange. Uh, he, he worked for the Orange uh, Board of Education. He left there, and the last time I saw him, he was in Newark. He used to play with Minister Farrakhan's uh, brother. He was a jazz out. musician. And, and, and yeah, yeah, that's right. And one day I saw him. I went in the basement, and he had a little girl. She was in and maybe about the fifth or fifth grade, and she was singing like Billie Holiday, man.
5: Whoa. You know,
3: you think about that. And then he told me, he said, man, look what they're doing to our children. They're strangling our, They're strangling our children. You know, they're not learning jazz. They've not learned blues. Now you go to New York City. And I looked. I watched that. I watched Winton over at, at Lincoln Center, man. They got more white people in that jazz program than blacks. The very people who were the creators of jazz, who can teach black people about jazz?
5: Mm. You see know
3: what I mean? Now look, all of this music. Even I saw where some whites were had gotten a, a grant to go into the white schools to teach to teach hip hop and rap. Now, huh? Mm. What kind of sense does that make?
5: Mm.
3: You see what I'm saying? But they can get the funding, and we can't. Or they'll get the funding, and maybe they'll hire some blacks to help them to bring it about. I've been in those programs before. And they told me, they said, okay, what we'll do, we'll fund your program, but we'll be the director and you'll be the coordinator. You see? I didn't even respond. What would I do? How foolish would I be to give my work to people who have no, not, don't even have my interest at heart? No, I am a black man born in these yet-to-be United States. Uh, that's what we have to come to understand. I'm speaking vociferously, but it's, it's my experiences. That's what I'm talking about. I just hate for black people not to, after all we've been through, not to be more resolute um, in terms of what we got to do. Black young children or black males are committing patricide in cities like uh, Chicago, Philadelphia, and the Bronx and Newark, and now, we, why are they doing this? They don't have knowledge of self. Who has taught them?
5: Mm. You think the public
3: schools are going to do that?
5: No, they are not.
3: You see, so what I say with parents, with parents, I'm getting back to that. Parents have to educate themselves. They have to educate themselves. And what they, they have to do, educate themselves, take their children to the libraries. When I was growing up as a young boy in South Carolina, I, was, I grew up in the segregated South. I couldn't even go to a public library. But Ooh. my sister, be upon her, Ruby, used to take me to what was deemed the colored library. And, man, those librarians we had, they were, they were servant leaders. They they, they they made sure we learned, you know. They would give us books, you know what I mean, and we would go back. And my teachers in the public school, I, I went to Carver, uh, George Washington Carver Elementary School. I remember my teachers like it was yesterday. My first-grade teacher, Ms. Hunter, you see, she knew who I was. She knew what my family was. She let me know my expectations. We have few fervent leaders like that today. So she told me, you're my best student, and this is what is expected of you. And on to my second grade. You see, and that's what we've got to do. We've got we to gotta create environments now where we can have education. It must be a trilogy, parents, students, teachers. So parents have to begin to read to their children every day. Have your child read something to you. You see? Or you read Beautiful. to him. Uh, yep. when, children, when mothers are pregnant, read to your child read to your children yep. while they're in the womb. That's Communicate right. with them while they're in the womb. Beautiful. Did you read the book? Did you did you read the book by the brother from uh what is he from? Burkina Faso.
5: Uh,
3: Spirit and Water, how he he was in the in the womb and his grandfather communicated with him? You know what I'm talking yeah. about? That's brother Leroy.
6: That's the bone food Sommet's husband. Yes, that's
3: right. Not, yes. Dalladonca. That's Dalladonca. him, that's right. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. what we have to get back into. You see what I mean? How the grandfather communicated, communicated to him and had him come forward, you see. And we have to learn how to eat properly, you know, get away from all of this bad food. One of the things that the Muslims did as we came into Islam, we learned how to eat to live. Remember, Leroy, how those, all of those children were being born and looked, they looked like gods and goddesses? Yeah, you see? yeah. 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 And, and that's what we got to get back to, all of this food that's that, that's killing our brain cells, okay? So parents are going to have to do their, their job. And then, as you said, create an after-school program. I'm a specialist in that. That's what my gift is, creating after-school programs and weekend programs because in doing so, you don't have to deal with that curriculum in the daytime. You see mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can, yeah, you teach them the history, the culture. So mm-hmm. they'll have they'll know who they are. And when they look in the science and the mathematics, they can see themselves. So when they look mm-hmm. at the pyramids, they know the pyramids came from the, the theorem that Pythagoras, they call Pythagorean theorem. But that's not a, a Pythagoras theorem. That's an Egyptian theorem. You mm. see what I'm saying? and when they look when they look at e equals mc square, square, the energy of the universe is equal to the mass of the universe times the speed of light they know that that's not einstein's theory but that was a theory that was in ancient kemet 6000 years before einstein ever came on the earth you see yes. all these things that's what they must do you see and then we have to we have to embellish our ancestors you see we've had great we've had some great scholars who've come, like Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark, all of those great scholars that New York produced. Okay? that we don't hear
5: about mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying?
3: Amos Wilson. All of those yeah. brothers, you we have a body of knowledge that we can stand on. And and look, I'm not from the, the linguistic world. I love it. The uh, the literature world. But look, we have Paul Rice Dunbar. We have uh we have uh James Weldon Johnson. We have we have Richard Wright and Baldwin. You see what I mean? Toni sure. Morrison. We can get it. That alone, that alone is the basis to, to get our children interested in literature. You see what I mean? And we can connect that to science and to math. You see, we can build a world for ourselves. I stand, I stand resolute, you know, in the science and the math. That will help us to find our place in the universe. And then we can create, we can create, you know.
6: Brother Rachman, right. we're yeah. we at the black end of this session with you.
0: I
5: yes. want
6: to thank you. I want to thank Sister Rafika for starting out the program with you. I want to thank the callers who have called in and those who waited on the sideline just drinking it in. I want to uh, advise those who listen that you do research on what the brother has shared, do testing. When I say testing, begin to test out some of the ideas within your own family, within your own circle of influence. If you're a teacher in school, you begin to weave some things in. But I'm into a vertical uh, formula these days. The problems outside are right within our own family structure. So
0: Mm
6: -hmm. if you're uh, hesitant about doing something within your school, all you have to do is focused on your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, and that's a fertile field for you and I to help and assist in the development of our children. Once again, right. I want to thank the Most High for blessing us with this classroom this evening, you to be with us, our guests to be with us, and for us to have a continual conversation regarding gifted and talented for all. Begin to promote yes. that within your families and your communities, brother. Brother Rockman, you had one one point to make. It you were saying you're just affirming what I was saying. I think.
3: Yes. Yes. Okay. You, okay. Now you you said re, I, I didn't quite get that. Pass. Would you Would you repeat that?
6: I think you were affirming. You were affirming, saying yes, as in the amen yes, corner. Oh, absolutely,
3: yes. absolutely. <laughs> I'm very I'm very honored to have had the opportunity to speak with you and to Sister Rasika. Is that her name? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. And and your audience, I thank you for the opportunity, and I pray that the ancestors will bless you and guide you and the black nation to success. We're in a critical period right now, but you have to remember that Allah has bequeathed to us a special task, and our, our, our objective is to bring justice to the world, and we can bring it. We can bring justice to the world with a new knowledge, and Allah has given us this new knowledge. So we are not we are not by ourselves. For Allah, who represents the ancestors, is with us, and we have to remember that Allah and the ancestors is one and the same. Okay, you don't have any problem with that, do you, Brother Leroy?
6: No, brother, that's one and the same, brother. That's straight ahead, brother. That's that's the <laughs> uh, double a double portion, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For your friends and relatives who did not get a chance to hear this program, they go into blogtalkradio.com, The Keys 107, and look for the program date of today, and they can pick up on this conversation tomorrow tomorrow on WHCR. That's www.whcr.org, www.whcr.org. You'll hear the communicators at 1 p.m., and we have a magazine format. We have another classroom set up for you. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Peace. Mm. <laughs> can you, can you,
5: can you.